The place to which we journey tonight is extremely dangerous. I promised you could accompany me, and I stand by that promise. But there is one condition. You must obey every command I give you without question. Yes, sir. You do understand what I'm saying? Should I tell you to hide, you hide. Should I tell you to run, you run. Should I tell you to abandon me and save yourself, you must do so. Your word, Harry. My word. Take my arm. So I thought you couldn't operate within Hogwarts. Well, being me has its privileges. <laughs> Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-hosts Katya and Hannah. How's it going, guys? Yo, you know it's going. You know the, the school is the thing. Oh God, school started. This is I, why being on fellowship is great. Me too. I, 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 did, I didn't actually realize space. school started till yesterday. So right, time and space does not apply to me. Great. <laughs> it's a magical time, and that's my weak attempt at a transition. Because Hannah, what's the topic this week? Yeah, the topic this week is uh, Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> and uh, we came up with this one because Kathy and I complain about it a lot. Uh, <laughs> right, like, and and okay, we're not horrible millennials. We've read Harry Potter. Yes, you are. You're horrible millennials. Well, um, <laughs> look, look, here's what happened. Here's what happened. I wrote a dissertation-ish, I'm not done, and I also taught a Victorian novel class. And to relieve the stress of dealing with awful Victorian novels, because some of them are, are truly awful, like, as we all know, Jane Eyre, uh, I started reading Harry Potter, oh, God, and I started realizing how similar Jane Eyre is to Harry Potter, and vice versa. And I feel like the more similar you are to Jane Eyre, the less of a compliment that is. Right. No. Uh, Harry Potter, the character, not the book, but the character of Harry Potter and Jane Eyre have one thing in common in my particular view on popular culture. I want to punch both of them in the face. Wait, what? <laughs> Enjoyed, Enjoyed the Harry Potter books as a child. Loved them. Thought it was great. I think Harry Potter is a dick. Well, we should introduce our guests because this is going to get heated. <laughs> oh, it's going to get so heated. Uh, we have three guests this week, and I'm going to I'm going to go I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce Chris first because you're the the single guest. Uh, first, I want to introduce Christopher Bell. Chris is the host of the Deconstructionist Workers podcast, which is a lot like this one, but he does it by himself because he's insane <laughs> hey chris how's it going all right how are you <laughs> chris you have a you have a specific particular expertise that i mean you asked to be on this show for one particular reason which is what i did um and it's because part of my academic responsibilities is i serve as the chair of harry potter studies for the international popular culture association i am so um, excited I am the I am the curator of the of the academic work. I'm the curator of the journal. I do 
a lot. I've published six books about Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter is kind of my thing. So, so you are close to completing your own Harry Potter series. I have I have six of the seven books necessary to have written as much about Harry Potter as Harry Potter does, has been written. Wow! Does that mean you're a wizard? <laughs> <laughs> Some days more than others, but Wait. I'm definitely more of a Mad Eye Moody than I am a. Do you, ha- do you have your own hat? I have multiple sorting hats. Great. Do you want to, <laughs> Do you want to punch Harry Potter in the face? Harry Potter is the single most unlikable main character in the history of literature. Thank you. See? Okay. All right, wait, hold on. Master of Harry Potter studies backs me up. Hold on, hold on. Uh, We have two more guests that I'm going to introduce together. We have Bayana and Robin of Wizard Team, which this is going to be a little different. I'm guessing, but not maybe not because I've listened to the show, but they are the host of the Wizard Team podcast devoted specifically to discussing Harry Potter. Potter one chapter at a time. Hey guys. <laughs> what is happening? Hi. So much. Which is arguably my favorite book after the Harry Potter series. I'm sorry. What is oh boy. I gotta go. Also, I would like to I also want to point out Harry is a child. <laughs> and we're reading we're reading these books when he goes through, you know, middle school. And which trauma. Is, have you met He's an abused child. <laughs> I, I want to like, point out I don't hate Harry Potter as a person. I just hate Jane Eyre. <laughs> I mean, and she's like Jane Eyre as well. What is going on? <laughs> I, can't, I just want I can't to point out, I could make part, you but... a list of stories about 12-year-old children who are also not the poster child for white privilege. Yes, that's a whole yes, but that is, yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's a different point. I would also like to point well, poster children, poster child for white privilege, or however you want to say that, pluralistically. And, to the listeners, this is going to be one of those episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also not going to say, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say he's, like, great. Like, I'm sure there's plenty of times where I'm like, at best. what are you doing? What are you doing? Absolutely. Exactly. Right. But I don't think he's, like, the wor- one of the worst. I think, I think like, the reason yeah. I want to punch Harry Potter in the face, similar to the reason I want to punch Jane Eyre in the face, is because they are often presented as unproblematic characters yeah. in pop culture. Because so really? yes, when if well, if you are I don't not know about okay, I don't, I don't know about Jane Eyre, but if you are not Harry, deep, if like. you're not okay, I'm somebody who has read it like as a kid. I'm not super into the fan, fandom, so I'm very excited for this episode. I'm mostly gonna be a fly on the wall. <laughs> but now having started this big argument, I regret my all of my life choices. No, but I think like. Like the, the the book constantly is lauding his character, and I think that like I've met a lot of fans of Harry Potter that are also like the same thing. Like will will ignore in Harry character flaws that they point out in Ron and Hermione, and who are also in different ways going through the same experiences. And I find that really weird um, and kind of upsetting. Jane Eyre, I will point out, like Jane Eyre, I say this because in a literature class I took at undergrad, everyone was basically trying to like reclaim Jane Eyre as a feminist icon. And I'm I just, just going to leave that there. Like, We're not going to get into that because that's a different yeah, episode. We'll have to come back. Yeah, that's a different episode. Y'all have to call Robin back for that one. Jane Eyre and Harry Potter products of their time and, and circumstance. And we can we can want them to do better, but also, at least in Harry Potter's case, we're reading about him becoming a person. Like he's becoming an adult, so he he has to 
be he obviously has to make mistakes and to learn lessons that he needs to become an adult and i just wish that like people wouldn't judge me on the shit that i did when i was 11 and 12 and i didn't go through I, I'm, on, it, I'm on robin's like, side here i of the trauma that I don't love him, but I'm on, I'm on your plus side magic, on this one. plus sure. shit right like uh, i want I mean, him I to become a better say- adult yeah, I mean, I also, I also want to point out too, like, again, I'm not saying, cause there are plenty of things. I think also we've maybe had different experiences with fans because all the fans and people who I've talked to have maybe not gone away to like, I hate Harry Potter, but have been like Harry's tripping at least right. 50% of the time. Um, I also, and so I feel like I, like I tend to, I guess maybe this, the people who I've met and who I've interacted with within this fandom have more been like willing to hold Harry accountable for things. Um, especially, and I think that like, I don't think that the books always do. Um, I think that there are moments where he does something like, like wildly inappropriate and then he gets punished for it. And like, we are all on the same agreement that like what he did was wrong. There are other times where he, that happens like Sectum Simfer, for example, which I hate where he does this thing. And then where, he, where he gets it. school detention for committing an attempted murder. Well, you mean that, that, well, well, that, but then it's not even that it's the fact that he gets the detention, which is like, again, is probably is definitely less than what he should have gotten, but he gets the detentions. Then he complains about getting the detentions after he just almost like killed someone. And then like in the exact same chapter, he gets rewarded in like by the text and like the narrative, like all of a sudden at the end of the chapter, it ends on a happy note. Like I'm, I'm dating Jenny now. Like we can't. So it's more like the way that that chapter is crafted as well. Cause I think that there are moments in the books that, and it, they don't, it doesn't just happen with Harry. I mean, Ron is prefect. Um, the book kind of rewards characters. Ron is a prefect, Hermione and Spew, where it just kind of like, doesn't take what's actually happening seriously in a way, or just kind of glosses over it. But I feel like that's not just a Harry problem. And I feel like, again, like I guess in the fandom circles that I've, the people I've talked to, I feel like most people get at least some. I think that. it might be worth distinguishing and not, for a long conversation, but in our heads, I think there are hairy problems and there are rattling problems, which is to yeah. say JK right. writes a world where I don't, I don't know. I'm going to use the word mediocrity, but not necessarily where Harry, Hermione and Ron are often rewarded for being protagonists for a convention of her world in a way that is different from the way Harry is treated within that world, which is to say Harry got punished because like, you know, he tried to kill somebody <laughs> like again, you like he should have been expelled, which I believe the book actually points out. They give him a break by only giving him detention. Isn't that isn't that what happened? Somebody who knows it better than I am. Mm-hmm. So there's that problem. But also everything kind of works out for all of their mediocrity, all of their mistakes, because they are the protagonist or the trinary protagonist. I'd argue yeah. binary protagonist and sidekick Ron. Oh, yeah. Poor Ron. They are the protagonists of the books. And, and like, and I don't mean like literal, like wizardy magic, but like plot magic happens in order to just sort of make things be all right for them in a way that I would argue yeah. the same thing happens in Star Wars for Luke Skywalker frequently. Like I wrote an article when um, Force Awakens came out sort of clapping back at all the people who were calling Ray a Mary Sue, in which I said, the people who are defending her are wrong. She is a Mary Sue, but so is Luke. 
and Luke is nothing but plot contrivance happening to save my life because I am the magically important farm boy. Yeah. I just wanted to point out two things. Number one, I've written pretty extensively about the trio as classical Trinity structure, sort of mind, body, and soul, or which is which. So Harry is clearly the body. Harry is the doer. Harry is the the active member of that. Uh, Hermione is clearly the brains of the operation. And Ron is really the soul. When Ron leaves, they they flounder. Um, Ron is all, Ron is all heart. He is the emotional center of that group. He is the one who is always his emotional swings are the widest. He is always the most afraid. He is always the most in love. He is always the most into what they're doing. That's his job. His job is to be the emotional part of the group. And when any one of them leaves, the other two clearly fail. They cannot function without each other. So they are they are bonded in a classical sort of, and, and by the way, so are Luke and Han Solo and Prince of and Leia. Absolutely. I, I will agree to that if you're giving the argument that as soul, that's not always necessarily positive. Like a lot of Ron's notions are, are horribly negative. No, right? it's yeah. not, it, has nothing, it has nothing to do with positivity or negativity. It has to do with the fact that he yeah, the is the emotion. See, that's his function. Right, right. right. It's just that, like Harry and Hermione don't really mess up their functions as much as he does is what I was getting at. I don't think I feel like they mess up their functions all the time. Yeah, they mess up their yeah. functions all the time. I think Ron um, kind of gets picked on when he when he screws up more so, though. Well, sure, because we're very quick to punish people's emotions and not right. so quick to publish to, to punish people when, for example, their knowledge is not helpful in a situation. Yeah. I also think that Ron's screw ups are bigger and have a larger collateral damage. Like when Ron lashes out at Harry, he draws blood in a way that is like wow and then even just like the way he treats Hermione as a person is like so I think Ron gets gets the the hate that he deserves and I love Ron it wasn't until actually we finished reading chapter by chapter doing our close read that I was like wow Ron is trash and it shocked me to my core because I've grown up reading these books over and over and over again and still loving Ron and I still do love Ron but like Ron is trash and does some mm-hmm. and does some really awful like to the point that if you had a friend like Ron in real life, I would tell you this is a toxic relationship and you need to cut him out. I guess that's how I feel about Harry, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. I totally feel the same way about Harry in every I way. But I don't know what's saying something. Right. That's how I feel. That, that's that's how I feel about See, Harry. I think, yeah. So I, I wanted to kind of bring it back to the mediocrity part. I will say that, like, just going off of. I mean, I don't know. Harry and Ron both have their own issues. I think that one of the things with Ron, though, is that oftentimes Harry and Hermione are tiptoeing around him and he doesn't always realize that. Um, And so that I think is also part of the reason in reading it like closer. You're like, wait, hold up. Um, Like something there's something especially because they don't hold. There's no moment where they hold him accountable. Like so um, what moment is that? So I think it's half blood prince maybe where he's like using lavender to get back at Hermione and all this stuff. And there should have been a moment there where they had a conversation and were like, this is a thing you do. This is like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like his growth is slower so that he can leave in Deathly Hollows when at that point that should have already been addressed. Um, but sorry, backtracking to my point about like the mediocrity. Um, I also feel like that, that, like, that's kind of the point of the books. Like in one way, especially like given, you know, like Robin and I are, are black women. And so, you know, we have lots of experience and, you know, 
observing the ways that Mm -hmm. a lot of especially white men get privileged just for you know existing um (laughs) but i also think that it's it's kind of the point like there are all these moments where voldemort is saying to harry like you're not all that special you're not you know you can't do none of this all it was was your mom whoop-de-whoop and dumbledore's like yeah but i think the point is it's like everyone or anyone Mm -hmm. can have this power um i think and so it's one of those things where it's like, yes, he definitely is this like mediocre white boy and like gets a whole lot of things handed to him that he probably shouldn't. But then I think at the same time, yeah, I would agree there. That's the core of the story. I think that I don't think at it's that, I don't know, think it's prescriptive. Yeah. I think the I think there is a world that we live in where, you know, being a mediocre white boy is not the worst thing in the world. You know, it, it gives you certain advantages. Um, I mean, we started this conversation with saying with talking about Harry being a study in privilege. And he is, despite the fact that he is essentially, you know, he is the redheaded stepchild of, of the Dursley family, right? He is, he is stuck, he is literally stuck in a cabinet under the stairs. And yet his, his life is still charmed beyond what, I mean, the, so we, well, we have no main characters who are of color unless you count Hermione, which is a whole different conversation. But like, and we do, like the, exactly. yeah, and, and I've, I've heard, but, but, yeah, but oh, we do. We absolutely do. Yes. And we also count, we also count James, by the way. But that's going to be a whole other conversation. Definitely want to get to get to that. But um, but so, I was okay, I was just thinking, really of the, you know, despite the fact that though. he is underprivileged in the Dursley world, he's still the most famous, richest man at 12 or 13 in the wizarding world, like Ron would kill to be Harry, you know, like he would literally kill anybody to have the amount of privilege that Harry has just by virtue of the fact that he exists. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of the, you know, like his power is based on the fact that, Oh, your mommy loved you. But this is what I mean about Harry as the poster child, not just for white privilege, but for unearned privilege in general. Harry gets so much that is unaccounted for throughout the text. Harry is the heir to not one, but two outrageous fortunes of which nobody talks about where that money came from. Harry can't any money. Harry is Harry. The first time Harry interacts with the wizarding world, he buys every single snack on the cart with no thought whatsoever that that then means nobody else on the train gets to eat. Harry he might have said we take the lot. He said we take the lot in the movies. I feel like he got like that was in the movies, but I think he bought one of everything. He said we take the Okay. <laughs> and also, if they Fair. don't have a back room Fair. where they can go and just refill the car, um, Harry. <laughs> well, yeah. it, it, it's uh, it's what is that Gamson's law? But they can't they can't create more. Yeah, they food. can duplicate. They can't um, make it out of nothing. I think. I think they can duplicate it. Oh. Yeah, they can definitely. They can't make it out of nothing. Right? Yeah. The but the point the the point that I was trying to make is we really see Harry's privilege towards the end of the series where. Hermione and Ron have spent the entirety of the book sort of saving Harry's ass over and over and over again. Um, all, all seven books, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ron, Ron, Ron saves Harry from drowning. Okay, but Harry like, literally saved, saves his life. Sure, but I feel like at least with Harry and Ron, it's a little, it's more reciprocal. It is, it, it is reciprocal in that Hermione saves them both repeatedly, but uh, Harry. There is, I'm trying to think of an instance in which Harry specifically saves Ron in a way that doesn't involve also saving himself. Um, um, the time he got drugged under a tree by yes. a dog. Yeah, there's like Harry, a lot of Harry's fault. So I, was thinking, I was thinking during like, Goblet, during Goblet of Fire. Like, 
Oh, that too. But that was a. Test. But also Goblet yeah, of Fire. That's, that's be, like he right. was in that situation exactly. because of Harry. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. I will say the dog wasn't going to yeah. hurt him. Yeah, he he actually remembers something he read. Oh, oh, right? oh, oh, oh! When he <laughs> got poisoned by Slughorn, or not by Slughorn, but it was Slughorn thing. And by, um, yeah. What was her face? Uh, I want to say Myriad Edgecombe, but that's she had her own set of issues. What was her name? B that sent Harry the love potions. Romilda Vane? Yeah, Romilda Vane. Oh, Romilda Vane. Romilda Vane. But that was, but that was Draco by proxy. Yeah, Yeah, it was basically Draco. So, you know, I think that like all these like character issues that we're talking about also like feed into the wider wizarding world um, and like how the wizarding world is set up. Um, which is like what absolutely I I kind of want to transition uh, into the our sort of outline. Um, uh, <laughs> I want to I want to give J.K. Rowling her say. Um, I in the blog post I accuse the Wizarding World of being very conservative, um, and what I mean by that is it's very isolated. Um, clearly, like you know, you're talking about Harry's unearned wealth. Like it, it's like a Victorian like aristocratic family where it's like, let's, yes, let's like accumulate the wealth in these old families and pass them on through inheritance. And it, it is magical. And also it just, it reads, and this is actually a compliment. It reads like a Victorian novel. Um, but JK Rowling mm-hmm. says that her quote, her novels are told, she's told repeatedly, her novels are conservative. Two groups of people who are constantly thanking me are Wiccans, parentheses, white witches and boarding schools and really don't thank me. I'm not with either of them. New ageism leaves me completely cold uh, and her daughter would never go to a boarding school. Um, and she doesn't want to be part of a boarding school world. She thought it would sound horrible. She just set up uh, because it like needed to happen plot wise. And then she said, I do get kind of frustrated with this conservative world thing because it is mostly like in terms of plot that she set things up the way she did. But I'm sorry, JK Rowling, your world is kind of conservative, I think, for reasons we'll talk about. And I'm sure other people have their opinions. Uh, but like, it's, a, it's also really interesting to say like that's an accident of plot because in many ways, I mean, because in many ways, like, the, I mean, the structure of the actual world isn't crafted intentionally. It's basically like in, in the sense that like a novel would be. It's, it's like, not like she didn't write it. It happens. <laughs> Right. Well, no, it happens because of a series of actions, like not because like somebody made yeah, the world I find that it hard way. To characterize anything as an accident and a constructed fantasy. Yeah. Mm. I mean, like things, things like, um, yes. you know, it, wizards use a lot of power to main state, maintain the statute of secrecy. They like wipe muggles memories. Uh, like what are the ethics of that America in fantastic beasts and where to find them won't let no matches slash muggles and ma- magical people get married. Um, Andrew Dorowski left a comment saying the conservatism even extends to the adaptation of technology. They make excuses about inference with electricity, but they could have moved to typewriters instead of quills and they managed to move up to radios, but not television or video games. Arthur Weasley is viewed as nearly heretical for his, interest in more modern technology. It's odd how insular that is when magic folk consider themselves hiding among modern culture, but so ardently resist even a basic understanding of what is around them. I mean, even cultures that eschew the modern, like the Amish, are typically aware to some degree of what is outside their realm participation. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, even Arthur, who's super interested in muggles, is super condescending. Yeah, very much so. And he's interested in them in a, in a he, anthropological. Yes. Like, you know, like when he first meets Harry, it's like, you know, tell me, what is the purpose of a rubber duck? Yeah. As, as though he is the, you know, the elite European scientist walking into the Aboriginal jungle, you know, going. Which is also very Victorian. Yes. I, actually, if you read some Victorian anthropology, which 
I know no one wants to read that but me and I don't really want to read that. <laughs> um, no, and actually I don't want to read it. It's it, it, you'll, you'll see like the descriptions of like the giants or like the centaurs or muggles by wizards. And it's basically like the racist Victorians being like, Oh yes. Mm. Well, even Malfoy only hates, he only hates Hermione because she's effectively new money. I mean, that's, 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 that's all. You know, oh, well, your parents were, you know, your mudblood is essentially her saying him saying, well, you're not really rich. You guys are only newly rich, you know? So well, I think it's not just that. I think it's more of a race yeah, yeah. thing than like a class thing. Yeah. It's, it's, because yeah. Rowling has no intention of writing about actual racial issues, it's more of like brown people moved into my neighborhood, right. so now the property values are going to fall. It's a, I it's think, a very I different. Still stands for the conservative issue, though. Yeah, that's true. I think that's, I think that still scans for the conservative issue because because it, it's not like it's not like if if she, if she were okay. If you're going to take the if you're going to take the metaphor of you know of white wizards versus black mudbloods, then it's still he's not caring like. Malfoy is not caring about going around and murdering actual muggles. They are so far beneath his mur- his notice. Voldemort does, but Malfoy only cares about the black person moving into his neighborhood because they're in his neighborhood now. Yeah, you know, if a if a black person wants to stay in Harlem, fuck him. Right, right. <laughs> like that's fine. That's that that's where Malfoy is. Absolutely. He- he doesn't like the Jeffersons, right? He doesn't like he doesn't like the black person who has made themselves or the poor person who has made themselves and somehow, you know, ascended to this white privilege that I naturally enjoy because my, you know, my grandfather and his grandfather before him were were in this world. Absolutely. I totally agree. Or at least that's how I read him. Which is also why which is also, by the way, why he they hate the Weasleys so much. Right. Is that they're supposed right. to be old money, but mm-hmm. they, they slum it. Well, I think it's that. And also the fact that they've kind of like outwardly Ideology. and explicitly rejected like pure blood supremacy. So it's, yeah, they're, 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 they're literally right. called so them race traitors. Or, or blood traitors. Yeah. So it's like, so, yeah, so I, I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I would, I wouldn't, I guess, personally connect it as much to it being a money thing because um, who is it? Justin Finch Fletchley. Like he was a pretty well off muggle born and he still was attacked and still, you know what I mean? Like it, that's not the intersection. It feels True, like. But Malfoy literally basically says to him, how are you guys going to call yourselves purebloods and you can't even afford a sure. slave? All you I'm have not is that, a I'm not that saying that class your... is not an issue. Yeah. I'm saying that class is an issue when it comes to the, like, he says right. that to Ron. He's not worried about what money Hermione has, right? right. I feel like what I'm saying is those, not to right. say that Malfoy isn't classes. I'm not saying that that's not a consideration that he has. I'm saying that that's not a consideration he has when he's talking about Hermione and how he hopes that she's the next one to be. I agree with I agree with all of you. I agree with all of you because I think this is one of the issues where I said you know we have to separate the way Rowling writes from the way their world works because I think the issue here and you know I have many issues with Rowling's personal politics in real life but um but the issue here is I think that she is ignoring race by conflating it with class like I don't I don't you know. To the extent that there are black characters in the world who are mm. defined specifically to be black, and see now I'm now I'm trying to make sure I'm doing this from the books and not from the not from the movies. Yes. But I think the Thomases are explicitly stated as being black. Dean Thomas, uh, 
Yeah. Angela Johnson. Did she, I lose everybody? Yeah, he is in Thomas's wife. Dean Thomas is in the American books. Um, so he, like in yeah. the UK in like the Philosopher's Stone, he's not described at all. Okay. So so yeah, so so but so that's the that's it. Then. And then Hermione uh, and then Hermione, if you read between the lines. So I think she's essentially just saying like like she tries to escape from from the question and then still deal with it by just replacing all issues of class and race with muggle versus mudblood versus pure. But blood. I think as you're saying Well, I don't I don't think so. I think that she explicitly critiques race or she, she explicitly critiques class mm-hmm. and that's a thing. Like classism is a thing in the wizarding sure. world. I think it's more like I like again, I don't think that she's putting them together because I don't think that her she's not thinking in that kind of way. Um, I think that the the pure blood versus Muggleborns and all of that is supposed to be in a like in a direct kind of analogy Mm -hmm. to racism or like anti-Semitism. But I think as you're saying without putting those things as you're saying that though that's a very I think class she addresses thing sorry um that like i'm speaking to people i have friends that live in the uk speaking to people we um interviewed cheryl skeet who like was the first rose granger weasley in in the cursed child play and um it they and if if there's a book i think um I, i can't think of the name right now but um about explicitly about race in like British society and that's a thing that they do explicitly and um, on purpose I don't think um, consciously I think it's subconscious but um, if you if you talk to anyone um, or a lot most people in the UK most white people they'll tell you that racism is not a thing that they deal with there um, but they'll bring up class but I mean <laughs> the the British Empire imported racism. Like that is like one of their main exports to the world. Um and and so and, and for them to, to think that way, they have to willfully yeah. they have to be willfully ignorant of their own history and of the society and how and how racism even plays in class. Um well sure, and then they position the conversation as beneath themselves. Right as well right and so i think that like the fact that she doesn't address those things explicitly or talk about class or like even the fact that you have a character named cho chang um and the both the, of which are last names by the right, way and the fact that um the the lack of and i mean we'll we can talk <laughs> about you know james is being south uh asian yeah uh the the lack of those kinds of characters and um and what that all even means that like you would have you know Pakistani or Indian Brits where 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 does that long deep history come from um the fact that they don't she doesn't address that at all is very true to her surroundings and her background yeah I also just want to remind everyone and I've said this stat like I don't know three times on the show that a lot of Britons like I think about 46 percent according to a poll still think that empire was mostly good a good thing yeah (laughs) yeah yeah like like you know there's you'll see comments yeah yeah Yeah. you'll see comments that are like okay well yeah like we sure like stealing land and killing people is bad but we brought culture (laughs) (laughs) and and, yes and and yes so um so (laughs) i okay so on this subject of race i had a question that actually comes more from my world of video game studies so in video game studies there's this conversation about basically the appropriateness or maybe the benefit of dealing with issues like race and class through sort of like fantasy or sci-fi allegories. So like 
the question is sort of like, oh, if you're talking about, I'm thinking of, um, like, in, I think it's Skyrim. There, there is a story about like basically like the slave trade and but it's not and there are like uh characters of color in the game but the slave trade is specifically with like non-human characters and there's like a camp in video game studies that basically goes like okay this is better because it's not putting that emotional labor on people who basically are dealing with this all the time and then there's another camp that's basically well no that's like trivializing very real world issues and i kind of see both sides i guess i was wondering if people if like that's something that you guys have thought about in reference to something like harry potter and like the mudblood um pure blood kind of thing so i think that like so it's one of these things too that it's just i feel like it's really prevalent in fantasy sci-fi in general where you go into the future or you go into this fantastical world and they're like somehow racism is cured between humans um but the majority of the people are white and then there's racism now all of a sudden it's being you know i guess directed at some other kind of sentient being it's a star trek problem Mm -hmm. um i feel like oftentimes like on the one hand like sure you know um i do feel like that tends to only happen with white writers um, because any other time that I've written, any time I've written or read books at this point, like I read a lot of books written by like black authors or authors of color. And if, if like they're in a world where it makes sense for racism, mm-hmm. racism to exist, it exists. Right. Um, and so you can't, like, I think that there's one of those things too, where it's like, okay, so racism no longer exists in this world. Great. How did that happen? Right. Like, why are the, why are the characters of color still in the background? Not so much like doing anything. Um, where did they all go? Is also a question. You know what I mean? Like, did racism like is racism gone because they're gone? Like, what's <laughs> happening here? And so I think that, especially because I feel like oftentimes white people don't have okay. all the tools and they don't have the range to talk about these things. Um, then trying to like adjust it so that it's something else. Or one of my personal favorites is like the aliens are being racist against us. Oh no, how <laughs> terrible! You know what I mean? Like, I just feel like it's one of those things where. Um, there can, I mean, you know, there can be good intention in, in doing it that way and trying to explore it in a different way. I feel more comfortable if it's someone of color doing that because then yeah, they understand the and nuances. that's generally my response to um, And I feel like oftentimes it's meant to be like, oh, it's so terrible, but it also doesn't exist right. in the present. You yeah, know I, I, mean? I would like to look at it. I mean, if we want to get like, we want to step outside the text for a moment, Rowling herself, when we pointed out that, I mean, she's, she's British, she's also white. And she comes from a lower class system. So it's I would argue that she's decontextualizing it because it's the only way she knows how to do how to do it. Like she doesn't she doesn't understand. I'm a black man who teaches at a mostly white school of relatively well off Catholic students. Right. (laughs) And I've mentioned on the show before that I I frequently teach like Tarzan or I've taught the great white hope. I've I've taught books like this and I will always Mm -hmm. have a student who some random student who will address it. Well, you know, this was written back in the days when there used to be racism And, and, and just (laughs) <laughs> like I always look at them and it's like it was written back in the days where they used to be racism and it's not that's not coming from a negative place per se for them it's coming from a place of you are an upper middle class white white kid who's never had to directly deal with it your heart's in the right place you 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 recognize the things that are happening there are bad but to them 
the problems of racism in America in 2019 are invisible because they're upper middle class white kids who've been in Catholic school their entire life. That's a it's a hard thing. You know, they care. But to them, the only way they can they can understand discrimination through a modern modern discrimination through a lens of fantasy with aliens or wizards a lot easier then they can understand um, like it's, it's actually, it's actually much harder for them to read a beloved, you know, because, because it's like, there's, there's a lack of relation to it. There's a lack of relation to the world of fences of August Wilson. Mm -hmm. Then, whereas if you read, whereas if they read a Harry Potter, sure, they don't directly relate to the circumstance of being a wizard, but they relate to the whiteness and, and they're not supposed to relate to the circumstances of being a wizard because that's pure fantasy in a way that, you know, discrimination in the 60s or 90s or 2010s is not fantasy. It's, it's, it's a harder thing to, it's a harder thing for them to, for the reader to contextualize sometimes. And I think it's certainly a harder thing for Rowling, who is a, you know, Rowling's had two lives. She's been a poor white woman and she's been a rich white woman and nothing in between. So those are the two things that she can write about with authority. Well, since we're on this topic, um, I, I wanted to talk very, very quickly about yeah. my least favorite tweet, from J.K. Rowling's, um, which you show respect and kinship. Yes, uh, so I, <laughs> yes, <Yay! I>, um, <laughs> it's, it's my favorite. I love it so much. So, which what is okay? Which what is this? Okay, so J.K. Rowling uh, did some stuff for Pottermore before Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them came out to talk about like the history of wizards in North America, and people were like, uh, hey. Um, so like colonialism and slavery are things. And she said, no, <laughs> there was a mutual respect and a sense of kinship between all wizards, no matter what their race. And as, as someone who spends uh, all her time studying empire, I was like, but she also no. said, she also <laughs> said that, um, magical people were aware <laughs> of each other. So a wizard in Britain would have been aware that there were magical people, native peoples in America or in the Americas, um, but didn't address how then when they the magical people came to the Americas, sided with the colonists because they didn't they weren't like oh hey guys there's already a thriving society here let's integrate or let's leave them alone magical Native Americans or ma or magical yeah. slaves so there just happens to be a magical slave in America in in 1801 and oh well huh, tough shit for that dude yeah, right <laughs> well, <so laughs> okay. they, they get to go to Overmorny and then just are, leave their families in slavery forever and oh, well, oh okay well better yeah totally fine <laughs> they're not, so that yeah, makes they're not allowed to go back ever and ever oh and then they're not allowed to go back and free their family because they're not allowed to that interact with law. muggles at all or, so that's you know, great. They, they probably go to that weird. Right. Thing. So that sounds like, like Native did, American like re-education school. Native Americans in you know. boarding school with overmorning. Yeah. Which, so long as they're magical. Which is founded by oh boy, not mm -hmm. a person from America. If I'm remembering that correctly, she's Irish. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yes. And she also completely misappropriates no, the Skinwalker mythos as well. Like so like there's, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah, and the there's layers. Yeah, there's, there's a lot layers. going on in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. boy. Yeah, the whole lot. But mutual respect and kinship. They were, when they went to Overmorning, when they went to Overmorning, they were like, what's racism? Uh, yeah. You know? And, you know, I, I think that this is interesting that she did this 
four fantastic beasts because um that besides me who has watched those movies we have have. one of them we did cool i did not finish it (laughs) okay uh that series i find really i don't i don't know i think i just sit there and i analyze it for two hours and like watch the cute animals um because <laughs> uh, you can do that, that sounds that um, sounds correct you know like compared to like all eight uh like original harry potter movies if you just look at the cast of fantastic beasts and where to find them especially like in major secondary characters there are far more people of color oh absolutely um, and I feel like it's her, like especially in like the second one, Crimes of Grindelwald. There, they cast Claudia Kim as Nagini, which, um, which like we can talk about that. Also, my boyfriend counted her lines and said he thinks she said twenty words total. Um, I would be shocked if she said twenty words. Um, I think I it's, one word. I think I think that she got the majority of her words when she was like, "Credence, you better don't don't turn dark." Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm being very sarcastic, but I'm still th- I still think the dialogue that I just came up with is better than what actually happened. Um, uh, then they they. Uh, this is why I haven't seen them. Is I just listened to you bitch about it, and, and they, I figured, and like, like, okay, we, well, that's good enough. Yeah, we saw the first one, and then we kind of just randomly we were at a con we were like we should just watch this thing and i don't remember we were at a con and someone kept bringing up crimes of grindelwald and we couldn't have like a nuanced conversation with them because we hadn't seen it on purpose but then we were like (laughs) if we're gonna be having if we're gonna be put in these situations where we're gonna be having these conversations especially like on stage with a microphone like we should know what they what they've seen and it was the most nonsensical. It, I, I, still don't, took I don't like, know what I I think I it took us like four hours to actually finish it. It's super problematic. There yeah, is an awful. interesting, based on what we're talking about right now, though, the thing that I want to talk about in terms of that is Serafina Pickery. So Serafina Pickery is the is the Minister of Magic of America. She's the president of the American version of the Ministry of Magic. And she's also a black person in what is clearly a time in which black people in America were not in positions to become the president of anything. Women barely got the vote when she became women, white women, I should say, barely got the vote when she became uh, president. She is from Savannah, Georgia. So. Her mother, her grandmother, at least her grandparents, at least were born in slavery, um, possibly her mother, because, you know, black don't crack. So we don't know. But right. uh, she <laughs> comes from Savannah, Georgia, goes to Ilvermorny, leaves her family who are probably possibly just looking at the time, more than likely sharecroppers or something of that sort in the deep south, leaves them behind forever, goes to Ilvermorny joins Makusa or by Crimes of Grindelwald, the American Ministry of Magic, because all of the stuff in the first book or in the first movie does not matter in the second movie. Right. Um, there's no continuity whatsoever. There's no continuity whatsoever. Um, becomes president, lives in Harlem with a blonde, like short haircut, which is fine. That's like of the time and wears pants, zoot suits even. Yes. All of the above. <laughs> I will, I will also point out too that like the way that we find out like so I remember the first I guess Fantastic Beasts trailers were starting to come out and people were like so y'all are in New York in the 1920s 
during the height of the Harlem Renaissance and there are zero black people. And then maybe two weeks later, they were like, Carmen Ajogo is Serafina Pickery. And like, um, was it Jimmy Chan or something? Or something? Yeah. I can't remember. Jimmy yeah, Chan is like, Madam Asia. Jimmy Chan is also in it. And you're just like, wow, they have these two women of color. Wow. And then they literally had what, like, it was one of those things where they had already cast, the movie was already wrapped, you know what I mean? And they were like, where are the people of color we can just pull and we'll make a wand for her and we'll just like have them on all the stuff and have them put, throw them on the press tour now, even though they're like my like minor, minor characters, just so that some people will feel like we're doing something. Like, you know? it, it is very much trotting out the like, look at, look at all the black people. Yeah, exactly. It was, yes. it was super not thought out until somebody right. said something and then they right. were like, oh snap, okay. And then, you know, they were just and then we got her backstory. Back like, oh, Serafina, like, no. <laughs> yeah. Even just like stuff on Pottermore, even the stuff on like Magic in North America, the Overmorning stuff, like all that stuff is content marketing, right? Like it's very much, and then, but then what's hilarious about it is that none of it really comes up in the actual movie. So then what was the point? It's but, completely meaningless in every way in terms yeah, of the actual narrative of the, yeah. It's unnecessary. Um, but it was like, it, it, so that's one of the things that becomes kind of like, it's a little frustrating because you read the Harry Potter books and you see how much that she put into it, the research, the world building, all of these things. And then she just throws this online and you're thinking going into it, oh, it's going to be a similar thing. She's finally expanding the world. And then that is not the case at all. But I mean, realistically, she, if you follow the stuff that she did on Pottermore before it was co-opted by, uh, Warner by Brothers. Warner Brothers before Warner Brothers took it over. Mm-hmm. She had very little respect for her for for the canon of the world she created in the first place. She's a, yeah, she's, very, she's very much a George Lucas. She wants to tinker and tinker and tinker. Very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do want to say that, like, I feel like a lot of the early stuff, especially back when it was like a video game or whatever was going on with that. Like, I think a lot of that stuff were things that she already had in her notes and that were like things that she just didn't put in the book because it didn't fit. You know what I mean? Especially like the like Dean Thomas, Dean stuff, Thomas or like backstory, Shin, McGonagall's backstory. Jesse McGonagall. Like there are some things. There are other things, which is like, you know, she has a thing up there that's basically a fanfic for Scottish rugby. <laughs> um, and like there's, <laughs> right. there's all these other things that she may have put on like later on, but I think that some of it actually has some merit. And then as it I think like as it kind of progresses and then when it kind of flipped into being like what it I guess now it's not even Pottermore anymore. They're like changing it, but um, like I feel like as it goes on, it's like clearly like you can just tell that she's like messing with stuff, and then also they're like Warner Brothers is kind of like, hey, maybe write this so that right. we can get people to go buy these tickets. I like I like that you attribute that there's a maybe in there, as though they're not coming to her and being like, here's what's going on, Pottermore, put your name on it. Because I really, if you read a lot of that stuff, it very much has the vibe of a hostage note, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> sure sure yeah i mean yeah i don't know it's it's hard sometimes to to figure out where she ends and warner brothers begins yes yeah so i guess what i'm saying is fantastic beast is a thing (laughs) 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 i think that is the most accurate description that we could possibly come up with at this point i'm glad we're we're all in agreement on this i have a question it's not not exactly about the politics of it per se but maybe um 
I I don't quite understand where and and this is this is you know, the the three guests are all you guys are all going to be far greater versed in the Harry Potter fandom than <laughs> the rest of us maybe Hannah but um but like where is the level of respect for Harry Potter fandom at large for the Fantastic Beasts extension like i know there's some mixed reception but more or less okay for cursed child right and then yeah. i you know mm. and then I, but it's, say, but I, not as much as like the, the the primary seven books i get that but it, like yeah, I Fantastic Beasts, child is more polarizing curse of child is far yeah, more because polarizing, it's, I would it's think, yeah. like yeah. dealing with the main characters the main characters i think and like fantastic Beasts, i think people like if they don't like it they're like whatever i'm not gonna watch this people are angry about the curse yeah. Well, and the other part is as much as we might hate Fantastic Beasts, if we do, she wrote that. So there's there's a feeling too, yeah. as though it it may suck, but at least she wrote it. There's this intense vibe among a lot of people within the Harry Potter fandom community that essentially curse a child is fan fiction it's written by somebody else it's endorsed by her at some level but it doesn't quote-unquote really count because it's not really written by her okay so there's a that so so curse a child gets a free pass in some ways in a way that fantastic beast doesn't because people recognize the fact she didn't write curse a child so it doesn't have it's not like the star wars community pre pre disney where where um the where the community considered the extended universe as blessed like they they they're they're not considering fantastic beasts didn't come from her i mean i'm sorry um cursed child didn't come from her mind so it's not quite special enough whereas fantastic beast does come from her mind so it hurts more if it's inferior exactly yes but i also think that like it's so i feel like with cursed child too it's like there's different because i think some people do count it as canon and are like this is like this is what it is um and some people don't and then there's also the conversation of like who likes it and who doesn't but i feel like there's no one in the middle if that makes no, sense there's no one in the middle this is what it is or this is not what it is and that's yes. what it is. whereas like with fantastic beasts i think a lot of people like so for robin and i um we went to see curse child in london and it was like we happened to get tickets like the week that the play, like that it, like the play was released in barnes and noble so we didn't I think it, had know, open, it was really the, early. The play had only been opened for like oh two weeks before we went to see it. It had and the book had only just come out like right as we, we were leaving to go to London. Yeah. And so so in terms of like when we saw it, we didn't get all of that beforehand. Um and I would also like I think that the other thing too is is like with Fantastic Beasts, there was more of a gradual like I think that people counted it. Like I think I kind of count it. I don't even know if I can count it as canon, as canon because everything there's so many things that contradict themselves. So it's for a different reason, yes. I think, than for a child. Um, but also, I think with Fantastic Beasts, a lot of people I have never I haven't maybe after the first one there were people who were like, let's talk Fantastic Beasts, let's do this. But I feel like most of the fandom at this point is like <laughs> try, just like quietly hoping that it tanks enough for like. <laughs> Like, like, it'll be great. Whereas, like, Fantastic Beasts people are like, I don't know. I think Warner Brothers like, that is 100% valid. Absolutely valid. Do people want a Curse Child movie? Do people want a Curse Child movie? Is that like a thing people are hoping for? Because I know people are hoping for a sequel with the original cast, but. I would think the people who like it want it 
and the people who don't don't. Yeah. Okay. That's the, that's, I, will I think say, that's the easiest way to say I will say, say that one of the things that Kershaw has going for it is the staging and the, the actual visuals. Yes. So like when we when people were asking us how the play was, I found myself saying the acting is amazing, the direction is amazing, the set the sets, there's act they do actual magic on stage. The story is bullshit and you can take it or leave it, which is like a, a difficult thing to say, which is like beautiful gowns like everything it looked wonderful and the content was awful and so I will say that one of the things that bothers me a lot about Cursed Child is that the vast majority of people Mm -hmm. can really only afford to read the screenplay Mm -hmm. and so they don't get the full effect so Mm -hmm. if there was going Mm -hmm. to be a movie I would say like maybe one of those fathom events where they like just film the actual staging of the play so that everyone can like like, experience that part I don't want there to be a movie because I don't want their, them to think that this was. They're gonna, they're gonna get David Yates, and then it's gonna be all dark bangs, flashes, and, nope. and then like nothing is gonna have any color to it. There's gonna be no whimsy. It's not gonna feel. There's gonna be no whimsy. Whereas, like, I no feel whimsy. Like the, Zero whimsy. None. Zero whimsy. This is a crime. This is, no, no. So it's like no. I would rather them not make no. it a movie. No whimsy is a crime. So yeah. I feel like I feel like Warner Brothers is like they push back the third Fantastic Beast movie because they like feel this vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like all the things that fans hate, like Johnny Depp <laughs> and plot twists that make no sense, yeah. and David Yates, are things they're like, nope, I'm gonna keep these. Warner Brothers also is that they child like Chris didn't used to be owned by Warner Brothers and so they just which is partly why I'm like I think they might make a movie yeah they just bought it that's what the whole we're celebrating the dark arts thing is happening right now but um I think one of the things with Warner Brothers in general is that they fundamentally and and JK Rowling I'm not gonna let her like skate on this either they fundamentally do not understand who the fans are and what about this story makes it iconic and epic and like what makes it what has made it last so they're clinging that's a warner problem it's a a warner problem across a lot of their properties so i think i'm putting the majority of the blame on that but jk rowling has power the fact that like with fantastic beast their first um defensive of having Johnny Depp was what we wanted a iconic name. It's like JK Rowling is the name. You could have hired a bunch of no name, like uh-huh. first time actors, which would have been and better. Also Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell is not some dude okay, off the Colin street. He is okay. a name. Eddie Redmayne got a freaking Oscar before. Like he is an Oscar award winning actor. Jude Law is a name. And Depp is not a draw for the 15 year old audience that they were looking for. The point in which they they cast him has been nothing but box office poison. So, like, well, they well they cast him right before they knew that. Like that, well, they knew he was box office poison. They knew they didn't know about his personal 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 problems. Like, like, yeah, Mordecai, come on. (laughs) Last few, like, yeah, he hasn't had a hit in a long time. He hasn't had a hit, and yes, and and the idea that like. Putting J.K. Rowling's name on something is not enough to grab people's attention. I mean, they announced that play, and we were online buying tickets, super excited about it. At like at three, three in the morning. morning, I didn't know we didn't know who was going to be in it. We didn't know that Hermione was going to be black. Like 
We, I just want a point of point of order. Pirates of the Caribbean five made seven hundred and ninety four million dollars worldwide and was like the number five or six film of 2017. So to say yes. Johnny Depp but doesn't that, draw money that, is. No, no, no. You know what I mean? Like that's well, no, a franchise. But also that was his, that was like, his right. That was his that was his hit. It's a, if it's you a check, franchise, but the franchise is Captain Jack Sparrow. But, right, but, but his but his, his, pre- his eight yeah. previous films all lost money. His eight previous films right. to uh, to that Pirates movie all lost money at the box office. Four of them right. would have been profitable, but for his salary. I've checked this before. I've had this argument. Yeah. He, he was yeah. he was in he was in real trouble for almost a decade. And Pirates, he, was like in, he, had, he was in serious Pirates Five is also profiting off of the off of Pirates One through Four. So yeah, and and Orlando Bloom because right. Orlando Bloom came back yeah. and they were they were like, oh, it's gonna be good again. It was not good. It was very bad. It was bad, but Pirates Four also made over a billion dollars. Yeah. I, so, do think he, I do think he's a yeah. Right. I do think he's a draw, yeah. but I think he's but I think he was in he he was certainly at the time of casting for Fantastic Beasts of when they would have had to cast him. He was in a because he was he was in a diminishing returns point of his career because he did have the Pirates franchise, but his other films were Mordecai, Dark Shadows. Um, right, because, yeah, yeah. I, he was yeah. he was having he was having trouble. He wasn't necessary. And even if he, he was wasn't well, necessary, it's not the target. Yeah, it's like he doesn't draw the audience they were going. In fact, he kept some of the audience away. Yeah, yeah, he kept yeah, a large but, amount of the audience. Like, and I yeah, and I just think true. that in general they don't understand who Harry Potter. Like the Harry Potter generation at, to this to this day when they did the Cursed Child releases and stuff, it was all marketed to 12 year olds, which is fine but we're 30 plus now um, <laughs> the younger side of us are right. like late or mid to late 20s, that's like the youngest of the the, the, the Harry Potter the original fans, yeah, yeah. Like, taught, original yeah. fans and yeah. yes, you could want I, and I always bring up Star Wars in this um, analogy because and, and, and it took, it, it did take rest wrestling it back from from Lucas but you want it you want Harry Potter to become generational that means that you do not alienate your original fans you make it so that they want to bring their children and their younger siblings and stuff along for the ride and at this point at least in like the fans that I've talked to and we I have people who are watching the Fantastic Beast movies only because they they were super excited and took their little sisters or their children and now they're like, well, it's the one way in which I can get them to read Harry Potter. They hate it. They don't want any part of it. But like, that's basically the only like they're marketing towards casual fans. And I think that they're thinking that casual fans can keep um, this this property going when they could be marketing and like and making content for diehard fans and in that and in that enthusiasm getting new people on board. I think that also makes it more fun for also like I mean I insofar as I am a fan of the Harry Potter universe I am very cash and part of the thing that's fun about it though and going to like the opening nights and like being involved in it is like people are super into it like when the when I think it's like it's a mistake not to market towards the diehard fans just because like it's more fun even for the casual people when they're into it too. This is the problem with every long-term franchise though this is the same issue that on my own podcast we've been talking about the Transformers franchise this is the same problem that any long-term franchise has which is it has to balance out the fans that have originally made the property successful and 
bringing in a continual source of revenue from new fans. There are not enough original fans to sustain any property in today's marketplace. You have to continue to bring in new fans. So it's a, it's a dual marketed, it's a, it's a dual marketing strategy. And so for a, a work like uh, like a Fantastic Beast, you have to market that to the 12-year-old fandom because the 12-year-old fandom has been your bread and butter fandom since the beginning. Those fans have aged and you want to continue to keep them invested, which I can see why they went with someone like Johnny Depp, who they would assume would have this sort of larger scale drawing power. But the second that they realized he doesn't, that should have well, been a red but flag. What do you for do? Because the second they, right. they realized he didn't when that like, first movie I, came out, I get the, do you just recast him back to Colin Farrell? Right. But they already. Outer face. You absolutely yeah, recast yeah. him because you've already established that he has the ability to change his appearance. It's the easiest yeah. recasting on earth. Fair enough. Um, I would also say too, like I, I I agree with you in terms of like there is there should be a balance in between like marketing to diehard fans and and um, and casual fans. I think one of those things one bring back the whimsy if you're trying to bring right. back kids. Bring back the whimsy. Like, my my younger, <laughs> my younger <laughs> sister is right now. No whimsy. Like, Zero so whimsy. Like, first of all, we need whimsy. <laughs> Second of all, um, tell new stories. Like I think that's the uh, the problem too. Is that yeah. like the cursed child? is basically a rehash like okay i say this to someone who loves time travel like tell me anything has time travel in it i will eventually get to it except star trek i hated it except well i said eventually (laughs) i didn't say say immediately i said eventually um i do i hate that how they use it in cursed child because it's just rehashing and going back to a story that we could just go pick up our books and read you know what i mean i think that um Fantastic Beasts. They, it's like Dumbledore and this like really awkward white boy, and he has to like come to power and defeat the Dark Wizard. Like it's the exact same story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the things that like I think it's one of these lazy things that I've found. Like it's happened in Game of Thrones um, most recently. It's like most recent in my mind where the the writers and like the folks making these movies think that the way to get the diehard fans is fan service and really the way to do that is just tell a different story or tell a better story mm-hmm. you don't have to keep having cameos or like these two people right. who've never met are now having this conversation are like wow look at like having this longing glance across the room like nobody needs that you know what i mean like tell a story um and so it's one of those things where i feel like if they would have taken fantastic beasts and kept it as you know doctor who meets pokemon everybody would have been everybody would have been down for it they'd have been like i'm i'm gonna see all five movies that's you know that's a lot of movies but like let's do it but instead they tried to force it into something that like a story that has already been told Mm -hmm. in the books um, and, and that they have failed to tell in the movies because they didn't address really any of this in Deathly Hollows when they could have in the, in the movie. Um, and then they're trying to force it into this thing that make it darker and like, you know, mm-hmm. flashes and bangs and like, you know, granted the apparating looks better, but that's it. And this is the- <laughs> Look, I just, I feel like it's, it's one of those things where if you're trying to bring in people who are casual, you have to one, make it make sense. Right. That's a Hollywood franchise problem. That's a franchise problem in general. I'm not saying it's just, I'm not saying, because again, I saw Batman versus Superman. It was the last (laughs) DC movie I saw, but I saw it and it was confusing as hell. Right, right. And I'm a casual fan in that that way. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I feel like 
it's I think Star Wars does the same back. thing. Like Star yeah, Wars, it's like you have to go back at a certain moment yeah. and regroup and be like, okay, mm-hmm. you have to tell the story because that's why people come is for the story, not for all the like. I'm a know, huge Star Wars fan, and I really like. So I'm I'm weird in that. Like I understand I'm not the normal audience, right? The normal audience re re you know some they like they like the nostalgia of Force Awakens, but it's exactly the same as the first movie. I it, love and, you that. Know, it's, it's exactly. No. Mm-hmm. And and but like what yeah. but the but the criticism that they got there was well why can't we do something new so then they did something right. new with the second and people, were mad. And people and people got mad well this isn't my star wars there's you know what the hell's going on um and you know there's there's a balance you have to strike and that's really hard it's even harder with prequels because you don't want to violate lore and i you right. know i don't personally care um i loved like I'm the guy who loved Rogue One up until the part where it met, meshes in with with um with Episode Four. Like I didn't I didn't want any Darth Vader in my yeah. Rogue One, and I know I'm in the minority there. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I was like I don't care about yeah yes it looked cool, but like I'm not here for the coolness. I'm here for the for the good story of Jyn Erso, and, yeah. and that's and but but that's a that's mm-hmm. a hard sell, and it's a balancing act that you know that I don't know that like, oh, so solo, I think completely fails in this respect because solo is just fan service. If you take, oh, a, yeah. if, you re, if you rename that character and take him out of the star Wars universe, so no boring. one gives a shit about anything no that happens. Going backwards to my earlier point, I will say the one franchise that did figure that out is transformers because Bumblebee, Bumblebee is a good movie. Bumblebee <laughs> rode the line between fan service and establishing a new storyline telling new stories and doing it in an interesting way that re- that removed it from the Michael Bay universe. Yeah, and it t- so, I mean there it, are it didn't tank but it didn't do well enough because no, it did not. It actually did really, really, did say, like, really bad movies before you got there. Yeah. Well, it did it did okay. It did okay. It didn't do it did it, yeah, it was exactly. considered a disappointment. Yeah. It was weird, but but yeah, you're right. It, it, Bumblebee is a good movie. It actually uh, and I I don't say that lightly. It it really is legitimately good but legitimately like good movie. but people gave up on it like they're like it's like oh god i'm not going to another one of these <laughs> and it, that was unfortunate well that's the michael bay effect yeah, i'm not going to see anything michael bay does i want to i want to go back a little bit to <laughs> exactly um like i think all franchises suffer from this i think marvel has done this very well in telling stories in a universe that are still different enough to make each of the 20 plus movies that we've gone to see worth going to see on their own. And they've had failures and things that weren't as good and they've bounced back. Um, but I do think in terms of Harry Potter is that the world is, the universe is rich enough. Um, and I'm a community manager by profession. The fan, the audience is loud enough that you can totally mine what they're talking about. Get a pulse on what people want to see. Um, and then get inspiration from that to make new stories that bring in new audiences um, and doesn't alienate the core audience that you have. And I think that like a lot of that too is opening up to new writers, to new people, like having JK Rowling, like these are the rules of this world that I created and your name is on all this. I think Rick Warden, who I, I haven't like, read a lot of his stuff, but I think he's done this really well with like, he's built up a name and, a, and has a lot of clout. And now what he's doing is putting his name on new authors and having Rick Rorden presents as a, a publishing arm. Um, and so it's giving his clout and his name 
to other authors telling new and interesting stories. And I think that the, the only way that you grow Absolutely. this franchise in a way that is sustainable is to give up control. And they have been so hesitant to give up control. Mm-hmm. And then on the things that she does give up control on, we get cursed child because she has no idea who her audience is, the stories that we want. First off, right. A cursory look at the internet would have told you that starting something at the epilogue is a fool's bargain because a large majority (laughs) of people hate that. I'm one of those people. But also, like, controversial yet brave. They could have done it. Sorry. Um, But then why go, why save Cedric Diggory? Why not save Remus Lupin? Sirius Black? Like, all of these people that are fan favorites. All Like, just go on AO3 you don't have to read these stories. Just look at the top names of the fan fiction <laughs> being written. Don't read them. You don't want it to color your, the story that you want to tell. But just like if you're doing any audience, any audience research. I think this is actually the closest we've ever come to actually solving something on this podcast. <laughs> um, but as always, we have solved nothing. Um, although probably we have solved that we probably need a follow up Harry Potter episode because we only got through like maybe a fifth of our notes. <laughs> and, you know what? I, I, and I cut down actually all the notes and submissions people sent in. We weren't even going to talk about gender really. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so, so stay tuned. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I certainly want to invite all three of our guests back for whenever we talk about this. I'm, I'm thinking there's no shortage of Harry Potter stuff to bitch about. That's no. <laughs> that is, let me tell you, uh, having published six, six books full of essays, there's always more to bitch about. There's always I mean, more. Yeah. <laughs> three years to read the entire series. So we yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, well, actually, well, let's do that. I, I mean, I'll let you guys plug it. Uh, Bayana or Robin, who, whichever you want to do it. What, what is Wizard Team? Let everybody know. Uh, you, go. you got the elevator pitch way better than I do. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Wizard Team is a Harry Potter podcast where we read the books, close read the books chapter by chapter. So we're like annotating, you know underlining talking mess um and we kind of just we discuss our thoughts and our feelings um mostly just based on our experiences the things that we thought of when we were reading it the previous thousand times that we read it um and things that we're coming to now reading it as adult as adults um and yeah we just recently finished the books but we got it's about 200 or so episodes um that you can find on itunes spotify Google Play plus bonus episodes where we like have topics we want to discuss that don't fit within the like confines of a chapter. Um, and we're on hiatus right now, but we'll be coming back fairly soon with, uh, ironically, cursed child stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, and it's all housed under Black Girls Create, which is a hub for Black nerds and creators. Um, so we have a lot of things that we do there. BlackGirlsCreate.org. We can find our podcast as well as the other like 20 things that we do. And that is, of course, linked in the show notes. What about you, Chris? Yeah. So I am the host of the Deconstruction Workers podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We're on all the things. The DeconstructionWorkers.com is our website. And we're biweekly where popular culture professors come together and we all turn our lenses on one particular popular culture property. Uh, it's very uh, academic, but it's also very accessible and uh, it's a good time. It's similar to this show. You swear a lot less than we do. <laughs> we swear, we swear none. Um, 
we swear zero on our show. So it's kind of, it's kind of liberating to come here and to let go a little bit. Yeah. Um, one of our, one of our uh, regular guests, Natalie is on your show quite frequently. Natalie so. is one of our core deconstruction workers. She is often on our show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm actually going to have to come on at some point yeah, um, absolutely. to, to, um, to talk about so pro wrestling. Cause pro I, wrestling. I, you and I, you and I are both <laughs> wrestling scholars yep. and have a lot of wrestling knowledge. So. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you, you guys, I was listening to his most recent episode where he had things to say about wrestling. I'm like, ah, I want to just yell back, <laughs> which is, which is always, a, which is always the, the mark of a, of a really good podcast when you're listening and you're just like, yeah, yeah. Or no, what, what, no, you idiot. That's not right. Or just when, whatever, you know, either I'm agreeing or I'm not agreeing, right. but, but, but definitely, you know, check out both wizard team and the deconstruction workers, both linked in the show notes and palindrome Hannah. Anything you want to help? I actually have something this week. I know. I was very excited. Do you know what I'm talking about? I believe I do. Uh, I was a guest on the protagonist podcast, uh, episode 246 on Jane the Virgin, where the host Joe and I talk about Jane Villanueva and the first episode of the show and how awesome it is. And everyone should watch Jane the Virgin, is basically what I'm saying. Um, The greatest (laughs) Twitter day of my life was when I tweeted about how everyone should watch it. uh, And Gina Rodriguez retweeted me somehow. so if you want to retweet me you can follow me on twitter at hanley rogers but you know but what's gonna top that if gina rodriguez and kesha are both sinking on a boat and you can only save one i also want to thank our guests for not leaving after i insulted you <laughs> though there for a minute i really you were gonna introduce me and i was gonna be gone like it, i jane air is wonderful uh. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I did write like uh. 70 pages about it for my dissertation, so I think my feelings are probably coming I mean, from that. I'm not but saying anyway. I'm, there may be a conversation, <laughs> but like, you know, she's got her issues. <laughs> and that's another episode. Nadia, what about you? <laughs> Uh, I am always, as always, on the Instagrams at Just That Nerd Kid. I ignore all other social media because there's too many things. Uh, yeah, and that's it. And you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick or on my personal blog at www.chrismaverick.com. You can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at Vox Popcast, Facebook.com slash Vox Popcast, on our blog at www.voxpopcast.com. And if you enjoy what you're listening to, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And do us a favor, leave us a five star review on iTunes, especially that helps other people find the show makes us more popular and it makes you magical you'll be a wizard trust me this works scientifically proven i would like to once again thank all three of our guests for joining us i'd like to thank maximilian of thought form music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out and i would like to thank you for listening we'll see you next time bye bye Oh, wait, can we, can we say Mischief Managed? Oh, and Harry, don't forget, when you're done, just give it a tap and say Mischief Managed. Otherwise, anyone can read it.